Hello, I'm Kim Katola, host of Cradle My Heart Radio. Our mission is preventing abortion and helping those it hurts. And our vision is to bring abortion recovery to the church, reaching out to equip and encourage pastors, elders, ministry leaders, and others so they can minister God's love to the millions of Christians personally impacted by this moral crisis of our time. Saving lives and healing hearts, this is Cradle My Heart Radio. Find us online at cradlemyheart.org. Where can you find God's voice in the noise on reproductive choice? For over a million women and men each year, the question goes beyond politics to become much more pressing and personal, both before and after the choice. And we are called to love the little children just as God does. Listen to Cradle My Heart Radio with your host, Kim Katola, speaker, writer, and broadcaster, sharing God's truth to prevent abortion and help those it hurts. Learn more at cradlemyheart.org. We are here today to bring you a voice that is much, much needed in the noise around pregnancy, abortion, choices, and uh, the current debate in the wake of the overturn of Roe v. Wade. Thank you so much for being here with us. Our guest is Jarrell Godsey, and he is president of Heartbeat International, which equips pregnancy centers and maternity homes and adoption services here in the U.S. and worldwide, and really serves as a leadership supply line for these various organizations, which I love that description. Jarrell, welcome to Cradle My Heart Radio. Great to be with you, Kim. Always glad to talk to you. You know, to set the stage, I still find as I talk with people that incredibly to me, there are those who don't know about pregnancy centers, who have no idea and who want to reinvent the wheel if they hear about a problem pregnancy. Tell us, you know, what are pregnancies and how has the pregnancy center changed since the movement began in the late 1970s, early 1980s? Uh, that's a great question, Kim. I, I actually had the privilege of co-authoring a book, a 50-year look back. Mm. Uh, we did this for our, our uh, 50th anniversary of Heartbeat International uh, last year in 2021. And so it was it was very insightful for me. I, and I'm a person, you know, I, I love history. And I love to read about history. I have some of my favorite podcasts are about history. But uh, to understand the history of the pregnancy help movement is to really go back before Roe, when you had kind of the sexual revolution that was changing our culture right before our eyes, you know, the, all of that was happening. You know, we're moving towards a more, uh, a less conservative, more more liberal approach to relationships, and certainly uh, sexual mores and all those things are happening. Well, of course, arising from that is the abortion issue. And so, in 1967, we have four states that make steps to legalize uh, abortion in some form or fashion, starting with Colorado. California, North Carolina, and Oregon. And then from there, every year after that, saw some more states join that until we get to Roe in 73. But it was really in those late 60s, early 70s, where uh, the, the, there were people who said, hey, what do we do for these girls who are now in a place of of feeling like abortion is their only option. You know, they they're, they were left, you know, the, the guy left them uh, pregnant, or they're in this position where they don't know where else to turn and or who else to lean on. And so they really stepped up and said, well, we're sure that they were convinced that this was going to be solved on a on a political basis, that the elected officials would get this right, that eventually the... Um, the the you know the whole system would would write itself and we'd be back to kind of that pro life America 
But until then, we had to help these women not need abortion. And so that's exactly what Pregnancy Help was. It started as hotlines. It started as, actually started within the medical community. There were brave, uh, most of them were Catholic doctors and nurses who who would encounter uh, uh, girls and, and women coming to them with these needs, and then they were helping them find ways to not need abortion that they that they were absolutely considering at that time. That ultimately um, really kind of lands into this idea of a pregnancy center, because the very first one opened in 1968, just across the, our national our, our border to the north in Canada, in Toronto. It quickly caught on as an idea and began spreading around uh, the U.S. and here and there and in some of the major cities, uh, particularly where abortion was landing. And so that really called for a, a, a time of unifying. And so the movement, the pregnancy help movement of that day is really the impetus for the start of Heartbeat International, which at that time was Alternatives to Abortion International, where they said we need some place that connects us together, that helps us to learn from one another, helps us to spread information, to network together, and, and continue to improve our services to those who are needing us. And so that's kind of where pregnancy centers began, where it's really a, a method that the, the mission of Pregnancy Help landed on. But of course, Pregnancy Help is larger than that. We, we need those that are able to house women and, and care for them during their pregnancy, uh, uh, throughout their pregnancy. We, we certainly have need for adoption services. And so we see Pregnancy Help happening in all kinds of ways. But the pregnancy centers in particular kind of started in those days in 1968, and they began to grow throughout the 70s and on into the 80s. We saw a great burst of energy uh, in the 80s, and, and, so, and it's been growing ever since. So I love this definition that a pregnancy center is a place to help women not need abortion. And if you if you step back from that and listen to the rhetoric uh, coming from those who oppose pregnancy centers who are, I think, largely beholden to a big abortion money via political donations. I think these politicians who are attacking pregnancy help centers are not doing so out of a pure motive. I think it's very politically driven, and there's a huge profit uh, component to many of their statements. And um, you can look that up for yourself at Open Secrets or other places online and find out who uh, Planned Parenthood, for example, is giving to uh, $45 million in the 22 uh, midterm election cycle, $45 million to various politicians. But Jarrell, I mean, if, if we're helping women not need abortion, does that mean deceiving them about what abortion is? I mean, we could go point by point by some of this uh, propaganda about abortion uh, related uh, talking points about pregnancy centers. Um, how give us the give us the the how? How do pregnancy centers help women not need abortion? And I'll you know I'll allow you to couch that in terms of as I said you know this current opposition that the pregnancy help movement is facing. Well, Kim, you, you identify a dynamic that's very important to pick up on quickly particularly when those that are supporting abortion and abortion rights or uh, uh, abortion in any way are kind of defining the, 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 the so-called reality. They're really defining what it's something that isn't, isn't real in the real world. They're, they're defining kind of this academic approach to abortion because they want to couch it in the, in the scenario of, of empowered women select abortion and, and uh, need, to, you know, need it to be able to accomplish their dreams. Well, even embedded in that is the seeds of its own undoing, because you know women should are empowered without abortion, and it's really empowering women so they don't 
they don't have to rely upon something that really in, involves something as difficult as the death of their own baby, that, that they need to be empowered to walk out the conviction for life. And so in the political realm, they try to paint this as it's either abortion or it's pregnancy centers. And in, and in truth, the pregnancy centers have been around for the 50 years of Roe, right? So mm. we've been working to try to overcome her, her reliance and her expectation that abortion is the only thing that's going to supposedly solve her problem. And as you know, Kim, I know you've, got, you've done great, great programming on this in the past about actually some of the tentacles of abortion and what it creates for her, what it creates for relationships around her, what it, how it shapes her future, in fact, in, in often negative terms. Um, the, the, the politicians kind of presenting us as the opposition to their abortion agenda is not really the case. The fact is, every woman should be loved and supported in her pregnancy, whether we're in a, an abortion state or a, or a life state. None, that doesn't change. She still needs someone to come alongside her. And I wish these politicians were spending more time working on the factors that that really drive her towards abortion, her own economic scenarios, some of the some of the discrimination that's happening with you know against uh, uh, unexpectedly pregnant women, and some of the other challenges that these politicians should be working on. Instead, they're just trying to draw this uh, very uh, stark difference between abortion providers and pregnancy centers. And in fact, pregnancy centers are the ones that are able to help, and, and they help at no cost. There's no, you know, there's no cost whatsoever to that woman being helped, unlike what happens, as you mentioned, in the profiteering that happens amongst the abortion industry and amongst abortion providers, whether they're profiteering from her directly or they're getting, they're getting taxpayer funding, which they get to the tune of half a billion dollars every year. That's a billion with a B, and and those are the kind of things that make it difficult when you then watch the very thing that you're talking about is seeing where these politicians are supported in their political funding. And so it seems rather heavy-handed of these uh, politicians, of those that are kind of defining this. Meanwhile, pregnancy centers are serving, we, we count as many as 2 million, excuse me, as many as 2 million every year, and they're the ones helping them at no cost to her whatsoever. So we don't profit from her decision working in the pregnancy center, but we are there to help her make really that life-affirming choice in a life-affirming way that affirms her life and affirms the life of, of the child within her. You know, Jarrell, my journey into the pregnancy <laughs> help community it included an abortion in my early 20s, which, you know, stunted my spiritual growth and kept me silent for over 20 years. And when God released me from all of that and redeemed the abortion in my past and set me free, I began to be very vocal about what God's love can do in our lives if we've been if we've experienced abortion. Some of that included speaking at heartbeat conferences and conferences for other professional organizations that are equipping pregnancy centers and pregnancy center leaders and workers. And I know that I didn't step into the movement until, you know, the early 2000s. And there was a lot of conversation at that time about standard of care because you know some some pregnancy centers saw themselves as gospel outlets only and that the job number 1 was to make sure that she understood and heard the gospel when she came in you know for a free pregnancy test and then others had you know different emphases different priorities 
And I think this, you know, in the 20 years since I became became involved, I think the 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 accomplishment of a standard of care is one of the things that I'm most encouraged by. That pregnancy centers um, just you know pass muster on a lot of these charges about what it is that they're actually engaged in, in terms of deceiving women. I mean, maybe you want to talk about that, about, you know, how, uh, about the the growth pattern or the evolution or uh, just emphasis and priorities of different pregnancy center um, organizations. Well, it's true. In fact, thanks to uh, this kind of history of growth, we've been able to see and we actually submitted as an amicus brief to the court uh, in advance of the Dobbs case this reality. So we know that, uh, of course, Roe goes back to 73. Uh, a more recent uh, kind of redefinition of Roe happened in 1992 with uh, Casey versus Planned Parenthood. And our our history shows that in 1992 there were, I don't know, maybe half a dozen or a dozen uh, pregnancy centers across the nation that were able to provide ultrasound. Um, and in and in the 30 years since then, there are now uh, more than 70 percent of the of the pregnancy centers, which would put us well over 2,000 locations, are able to provide ultrasound. And so the the need for for uh, this information is has grown. The ability for pregnancy centers to provide this information has grown. The information of about the life of their child, and then the ability to be able to serve them also has grown. The the, the sophistication over the last 30, 40, 50 years of any individual pregnancy center, you know that, that they're now roaming around on wheels. Like some of them are mobile mm-hmm. units, and yes. some some of them are large mm-hmm. and 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 much even larger in their medical offerings. They offer uh, STD, STI testing and and treatment, and uh, and some of them are helping in in a, in a variety of ways, continuing with that kind of. Um, uh, compassion-oriented uh, ministry that they've been doing from the very beginning. So the the pregnancy centers have grown over time. It's always an expression of the gospel, and sometimes the there is the expressing of the gospel. And so it, it's it's not an either or. It's a both and. That it really is uh, trying to help women and see them in the holistic way that uh, that she should be approached. She's not just. A number or a statistic, as much like the abortion is, she will count her, or as a revenue unit, as they will count her. She is a whole, complete human being, and and with with uh, emotions and intellect, as well as a spiritual reality uh, that that sh- that that is a part of who she is. And so we try to interact with her in that holistic way, and and take opportunity to explore this kind of decision in the midst of that overall idea. And so that's exactly what pregnancy centers are, are, are trying to do. Uh, some are able to do it with all of these other services around that allow for, um, you know, greater impact and, and more dynamic ability to serve her. And others welcome uh, community partners in to really help them. Uh, it, it's been one of the amazing growth things because the way I like to look at it, Kim, is that, you know, um, we, we know that there are companies that have grown from, you know, a single a single location, I think, of, our friends at Chick-fil-A and McDonald's and Starbucks, and you know they've all grown to thousands of locations serving their product. Well, we managed to get to a couple, you know, a couple thousand locations, but we didn't do it with venture capital and a business plan. We just did it because we listened to the Holy Spirit, really asking the same question of us all in our various communities, and look where that's got us. We now have over 2,800 locations across the U.S. And wow. 
and 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 more of that outside of the U.S. as well. So, and as you noted, you know your your services are free to your clients, but of course, this is happening out of the generosity of donors who see the value of it, right? I mean, it's not it's not free <laughs> completely. Oh, absolutely, the line, no, right? yeah, yeah, it's right. It's, it's without. We don't charge her. Uh, but obviously, we don't. We can't do it without those that stand with us. And, and the vast majority of funding for local pregnancy centers comes from that local community. It comes from those right in that area who said, "You know, this ought to be happening in our community, and I'm going to help make it happen." Whether those so, are gifts are large or small, they make it happen across the, the country. We're not. We're, you know, we're there are pregnancy centers in more than 50 percent of the counties in the U.S. Which is awesome. So I, I don't know if you know this, but so not to put you on the spot, but for example, if a um, a small pregnancy center, how big is their donor list? Would it be a hundred donors? I mean, to, in order to be a going concern, how many donors would a pregnancy center need yeah, to it's, have? Yeah, it's probably uh, probably four to five hundred that are on their list. You know, now are not are all of them giving in you know in a given year? Um, hopefully, uh, the larger centers are easily into the. You know the the 2,500, 3,000, 5,000 who are regularly giving, either either on annually, maybe every other year, but definitely there's a core group of mm-hmm. even just a um, a few dozen, many times uh, monthly donors who are giving consistently and really helping make that budget budget happen. the the average The average budget of a, of a local pregnancy center is around three hundred thousand dollars, and so that's an average. And, and we know that there are some that are um, are well over a million dollars because they have they have multiple locations and many of the services I mentioned earlier. But then there are lots that are in that you know fifty to a hundred thousand range. They they're making it happen on a shoestring and and uh, they do that because there are loving, compassionate people in that area that says this ought to happen and it's got to happen in my in my community to help the people that we have here. So they're not looking to Washington. They're not looking to the state house. They're looking to themselves and, and doing this as a community. To me, it's a celebration of, of everything that a charitable community ought to be you know, really happens with, within a pregnancy center. Yes. And I mean, I'm, my husband and I are donors of various, you know, pregnancy help organizations, including individual pregnancy centers or, you know, ones that have uh, multiple locations. But it just occurred to me speaking with you that that is the pregnancy help community. Yes, it's these 2,800 locations, which, you know, staff can be anywhere from 5 to 20 or more. But you've got this whole army of tens of thousands of donors who are in the pregnancy help community as well, making it happen with their donations. And so this idea that this is a few outliers who are just deceiving women as fake clinics. I want to ask you about um, the 70% of of the centers that have ultrasound. So what is required for staffing if a pregnancy help center wants to be medical in that way and have and offer ultrasounds to their clients? I mean, is it because it's just somebody can buy a, a portable ultrasound machine and start, you know, doing some readings or what is involved <laughs> in, the, in the standard of care for a pregnancy center to offer ultrasounds? Well, great question. The, these are things, you know, the, these are medical services that um, really, really require having a medical professional. Uh, in, the, in the cases of ultrasound, that would include those that are certified to do sonography. And, or, or most often we find that actually happening 
where there are licensed nurses who have been trained in, in sonography, who have had, uh, you know, some training. You know, we've offered some training. There are others who are in this. That, of course, they can gain it from those that are, that are serving the professional community at large. Our training is more geared towards the pregnancy help side of things and in the limited obstetric ultrasound. So it all happens really with these credentialed and licensed healthcare professionals and ultimately all medical services that are happening in a pregnancy center uh, are, are operated under a licensed medical physician. So the physician is, is the one that's really bearing that. The physician, of course, is licensed. And so all of this, to say that these are somehow a fake clinic is, um, is one uh, to redefine the term clinic. And that's typically what lives behind that, that expression of fake clinic. What they, what they want to say is they want to say every clinic should offer abortion and contraception. And so by that definition, definition you know, your, your trauma unit uh, would, would be a fake clinic. Your, you know, your, um, your, your general physician could be a fake clinic if they don't offer abortion and contraception. So the, the, and, of course, that's ridiculous, and it's also ridiculous to apply that term to pregnancy centers because the, the local individuals that are making that happen are themselves uh, health professionals that are credentialed and licensed to provide that. And that, that's exactly how it it is happening and how it should happen. Gerald Godsey is our guest. He's the president of Heartbeat International, International, and among his duties is overseeing the leadership supply line to the pregnancy help movement as well as to maternity homes and adoption services that partner with Heartbeat International. And so, Jarrell, as you're, as you're talking about this and uh, thinking about, you know, the propaganda and the lies about pregnancy help centers, I, you know, do, do you have a thought as to why people like Senator Elizabeth Warren and others would be partnering with NARL and with Big Abortion to try to now legislate against pregnancy help centers? I mean, I should note that pregnancy help centers face down legal challenges uh, in NIFLA versus Becerra in California, there was a free speech issue. Pregnancy centers were being required to say that they don't do abortions before they offered any services to anyone. And all the way to the Supreme Court, which ruled, no, you can't make people say what they don't do in their in their organizations, right? Which was the heart of that case. But uh, this this challenge that Warren and others are mounting, I mean, what do you think is really motivating that? Okay, well, we set aside the the conversation we had earlier, which was the, profiteering. <laughs> the, the funding part of this, mm-hmm. right? The profiteering and, you know, the, the political um, capital that is raised uh, for the re-election of these pro-abortion folks. So I, we're going to assume that that's, that that's understood. There is something, though, ideologically that that's involved here, and and then and then I would I would say beyond ideology, it then moves into really a spiritual understanding. The ideology is the kind of the the illusion that uh, abortion is something that helps a woman, which we would contend it doesn't it doesn't help her at all. You, you know, you and I both share a, a past decision regarding abortion, and that there is you know the, the, we know that there's a reality that is often not not reflected, at least amongst the mainstream media, about the impact of abortion. But from an ideology standpoint, it's almost like they are protecting 
where this began, which was that kind of free sex without consequences, uh, that we somehow can create an illusion that we can we can do all of these things, which frankly are against God's law, and, and also against our own biology, you know, that we're not created as, as people to be um, com- completely open in our sexual uh, activities and approaches, that, that there, and there's plenty of, uh, of, of scientific studies that reflect that. Um, and so the ideology becomes one where I have to promote this because this is what I want, and frankly, in some cases, it's probably a reaction to something of their own past, where they, in essence, are are moving to support abortion now because they're really protecting their own decision of the past. And rather than having dealt with it and having approached it and realized that it was something that ought not have happened and repented of it and recovered from that, they simply perpetuate that reality for their own justification. And then, of course, by doing that, they're pushing that into the next generation who will then create their, their own paths of abortion decision that hopefully they will have time to come up with. So it's an ideology that protects uh, ultimate, this kind of sexual activity, which you see is rampant um, <clears throat> with all of our variations that are happening. And then it moves into the spiritual, which I've already kind of alluded to is it alter, you know, this, this, in God's eyes, this is really an, an attack against his authority. And we simply dare to say, you don't need abortions. Um, that's really the position of, of a pregnancy health centers. You don't have to rely on abortion. We're here to help you not do that. And so that's one of the reasons why they have to kind of continually push us into that arena, is to protect their ideology and to shield themselves from the spiritual reality that accompanies mm. this kind of sex without consequences. And because that's what we represent. We, we represent, oh, there are consequences, but you can deal with them and you can, you can have ways to overcome them. And then when we also bring in the fact that this is the gospel in action, this is kind of a specialized arm of the church uh, helping these women, being Jesus to them, then that just kind of confounds uh, the, the whole <laughs> scenario. And, you know, we are dealing with, frankly, with the worship of Molech. So it's no wonder people get a little exercised about that when, when, it's, when it's in jeopardy. Oh, Jarrell, we could talk for hours, and I really appreciate the way that you <laughs> framed that, because in the end, it is their deception that you can have sex without consequences. That is a deception to sell that to anyone. And so uh, thank you so much for articulating these things for us and for the work that you're doing at Heartbeat International. We'll, of course, link to that in the program notes, and you can learn more about Jarrell and the great work that he's doing at CradleMyHeart.org. Thank you so much for being with us today. This is Cradle My Heart Radio with Kim Katola, preventing abortion and helping those it hurts. Please get in touch with Kim. Find out more at cradlemyheart.org. You can listen to the podcast on all platforms.